Hey everyone, this is Ben with the Blue River Coalition. This is episode 12 of the Defend Your Ground podcast. Uh, we're really excited today. We have Patrick McKay joining us. Uh, today our focus is going to be on the Labyrinth Rim Gemini Bridges Travel Management Plan. We know everybody's talking about this on Facebook uh, for good reason. Uh, this is one of the most popular off-road destinations on the planet. I I often compare it to, it's like the snowbird of off-roading. Like snowbird is is recognized as like Utah's premier ski resort destination. It's one has the best terrain, the deepest snow, and it's a place where if you're going to come to Utah to ski one resort, you go to snowbird. And the, this area in Moab is that for off-roading and creates a ton of off-road recreation benefits to the state economy of Utah, the local economy of Moab and Grand County. And it is on the bucket list of just about every off-roader out there. For this reason, we're fighting hard to keep it open. This is a plan that's proposing to close up to 437 miles of some of the most popular trails on Earth. And we're spending a lot of time right now digging into the plan. We have Simone, our policy director, who's been analyzing this. And Patrick is is somebody I look up to. He does great, great work in analyzing these plans. He has extensive experience in the field, actually analyzing these routes for this purpose. He's, he's like me. He goes out to enjoy these areas, but he's also doing his homework at the same time. And I know he's got some of the best information on this plan. He was one of the original ones. We, were the, he, we, we learned about it from him. He was posting it on Facebook as soon as he heard about it. And so the off-road community is just really lucky to have guys like Patrick working on these issues out of the goodness of their heart and out of the passion for the lifestyle to keep these areas open. And we wanted to give him a chance to educate everybody as to what we're learning as we dig through this plan. And so Patrick, before we started, you were saying this is a big one. Uh, this is, uh, we look at a lot of these planning documents. Sometimes they're relatively short. Sometimes they're six volumes. Why don't you tell people what you're seeing as you're diving in your first week of this plan yeah yeah it, it's a, a massive area uh, this travel plan covers basically everything northwest of moab um basically kind of just head north out of town in moab and then kind of everything west of highway 91 um clear up to grand river to green river um, is included in this travel plan and so it's a, a humongous area um, why don't you like I know it has some of the I mean you could name the routes and then people would be like oh it's there I mean, what are some of the most popular routes in this area yeah oh, you, you've got like poison spider golden spike gold bar rim metal masher Hajo Canyon um, 10 mile Canyon <laughs> uh, secret spire hell roaring rim there's just a huge long list uh, the, the 3d Jeep Safari Trail seven mile rim um, buttes and towers kind of uh, most of the, or a good chunk of the Easter Jeep Safari trails are in that area, um, probably about, about a third of them, and at least in one alternative, about a third of the Easter Jeep Safari trails are proposed for closure, which is just crazy. So, yeah, it's a big deal. So, let's talk a little bit about the process here. I mean, I know this one, we submitted scoping comments on this one probably over a year, maybe even two years ago. Um, we had a we had the version of this kind of leak out, I think that was about a year ago, where we started seeing yeah. what they were going to do with the alternatives. The Grand County got involved. 
Uh, if I remember correctly, Garand County wrote a letter saying that this, what I call the SUA alternative, because the settlement agreement that's requiring this planning process requires the BLM to produce what they call a conservation alternative that is supposed to close a certain amount of routes for conservation reasons. So I call it the SUA alternative. And that alternative wasn't good enough for Grand County. Yeah. They recommended even more closures. And... Well, and let's just, let's t tell people too, in 2008, they closed 766, yeah. I believe, miles. Um, and so 15 years ago, we they already closed 766 miles and now we're proposing even more route closures and then what in another 15 years let's close another several hundred miles until there's nothing i mean this is just an onslaught of yeah mileage yeah, about being closed half off of the inventory routes across the you know, whole moab field office not just in this area but um i think about half of the inventory routes were closed in the 2008 travel plan that still wasn't good enough so sua sued and got a favorable settle settlement agreement which i think now we see that settlement agreement where the BLM agreed to basically redo most of its travel plans across Utah it was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to the off-road community because you know, that really gave them a chance to get all of the closures they've ever wanted. And every yeah, time and this is repeated, they win. Yeah, and it's turning into like a perpetual, never-ending project for us, the BLM, everybody involved, and they're playing a long game, but that's why we are too. I know that there's a few people, I mean, just to educate folks about what you just described, there are 13 total travel management areas that they're doing this for. This one in Moab is probably the most significant as far as how many people actually visit and ride the trails there. Um, but we've been fighting on all of those. And I know Patrick's been one of the few that's also there with us every step of the way on each one of those plans. There are certain groups, like if, a, if they're looking at an area in your local area, we see local groups engaged, but there's a, not very many groups that are doing the whole 12 to 13 plans. Like I say 12 to 13 because there's one area where they kind of combine two of them into one. Uh, why are they wanting to close the routes in this plan? That's the most common question I get from people when they get that kind of alarmist headline that, hey, they're going to potentially close... 437 miles there's all these named trails that are hugely popular most people are just like well why like what's the problem and and so what do you see in the actual plan because there's a lot of there's a lot of like discussion that happens in the community like you'll have different groups pointing fingers at the other groups um you have some people saying well everybody's out there trashing the place that like to be honest i've spent thousands of miles out in these areas looking at routes like you have and i don't see a lot of evidence of resource yeah, damage yeah. or garbage or any of the negative impacts from ohv use that often get thrown around as a problem i suspect in this moab area if you were going to find it you'd maybe find it here because there's just so many people that use this area compared to the others but what are the reasons like when you when they yeah. claim these routes need to be closed yeah, exactly. Like I always see people pointing fingers like, oh, it's the, the UTVers or the Jeepers or the dirt bikers or whatever, and it's just people abusing it and all of that. Like, Really, the facts on the ground about it have absolutely nothing to do with why these routes are being closed. Like, it, It's not because the routes are being abused or because they're overused or loved to death or any of the terms people love to use for that. It's, it's really ideological. Um, fact is that powerful environmental groups want the routes closed and the BLM largely jumps to their tune. 
and the main reason that um, these environmental groups want the routes closed is because uh, they're obsessed with this idea of basically converting most of the Red Rock country in Utah into wilderness areas. And they want it just all motorized and mechanized use shut down and the whole area reserved exclusively for hikers and um, not even so much about hikers, it's more just the wildlife. That, um, these people come from a worldview that basically values animals above people and they think the purpose of our federal lands are basically to be just giant wildlife preserves that um, they're just left untouched and the animals have free reign there and um, people can't really even use them. Uh, that, that's yeah, so I want to dig into two of those things. Well, they say that in the plan specifically that um, OHV closed routes will now be um, less susceptible to vandalism, to damage, and they basically imply that it's only OHV users who will ruin anything, but, I mean, hikers would never. I, and so they do say that explicitly. Yeah. I believe it's actually on page 24 under um, environmental effects. Um, so they do say that the OHV closed routes um, won't have vandalism anymore. Uh, they also cite user conflict. Anytime I've spoken with the sheriff's office, the BLM office in the AREF to get uh, cited like sources of reports. that. Like, of so there actually conflict. was a conflict here. I, yes. Yeah, so that we have documentation, there is none. Yeah. I've, they've never been able yeah. to provide. But they don't define user conflict document. as like people getting in fist fights on the trails or, or something like that or getting in arguments. Like, you know, I think this was a point that the Grand County Commissioners were making in the meeting about their letter last December, where it's just like, oh, well, other users don't like to use these areas because the motorized users are like, they're noisy and causing a lot of dust and, and different things like that. So it's more the idea that other user groups avoid the area or just are annoyed by motorized users. It has nothing to do with fights. And yeah, what it really comes down to it's just an excuse. The whole term "user conflict" is just an excuse to play favorites between user groups. And, you know, yeah, and that's what they it value. Is. It's so subjective. Hikers and yeah. mountain bikers and river rafters and their so-called quiet users more than motorized users, and they want to favor them by closing our trails and giving it to them. Yeah, and which is which is actually user conflict to yeah. take away a public benefit from somebody and only make it available to one group, you've actually now created the conflict. Yeah, exactly. And I look at this as like having kids. And when when one kid comes complaining about the other kid, the one who's complaining sometimes is the one I'm more upset with than the yeah. one who's actually doing something. It's, uh, if we wanted to eliminate user conflict, we could ban the other group too. And yeah. that would actually solve the problem. Like, And I've never seen a motorized off-road group Request that another user group not be allowed into an area. Advocating We've never for done that. that. We yeah. always advocate for multiple use and that the landscape should be used by all and for the maximum amount of public benefit. And yeah. So. And that's the point I'm making in my comments, though, it's like the more they play favoritism and take trails away from one user group to give to another, yeah, that, that increases conflict because it's inevitable then the two user groups would see themselves as being in competition for trails and especially motorized users, it. would have to start seeing non-motorized users as a threat to our trail systems. And we might yeah. have to actually start opposing them. And like when uh, I've seen some other projects that are going on in the Moab field office, like they're building some new mountain bike trails in sand flats. And it's like, 
well, that's a popular motorized use or user area. And so, like, should the motorized community actually start opposing some of these new mountain bike trails? Because the more they build near motorized trails, then the mountain bikers are going to have an excuse to try to get our trails shut down in the future. So it just yeah, creates yeah, this cycle of conflict that wouldn't be there if everybody could just share the trails. Exactly. And I wanted to say, I mean, you've been to Moab, Patrick. If I wanted to, let's say I wanted to have some sort of a quiet experience. Are there, is there anywhere I can go? Oh, yeah. Are there any national parks in the area? (laughs) Are there any wilderness areas? Is there a single place I could go in Moab to have that, my preferred recreation experience? Or is the entire place just crawling with OHVs and Jeeps and dirt bikes and e-bikes and whatever your flavor of the month of the thing you don't like is? Yeah, absolutely. There's opportunities for hiking. There's tons of hiking trails and arches and, and canyon lands, especially in, in canyon lands down in the, the Needles District or the Maze District. There's just endless opportunities for hiking down there because the, there's very limited roaded areas in those areas. And yeah, most of it's either legal wilderness or at least effectively managed as wilderness. And then you've got the wilderness study areas like the, the Grand Staff Canyon one, the, the Behind the Rocks Wilderness Study Area got the new Labyrinth Canyon Wilderness right across the river, although it is kind of a long distance around through Green River to get there, but it's there. Uh, And then there's hiking areas. Well, well, you could hang glide over there if you started from the Moab side, but I realized when I went over to Labyrinth, the Labyrinth Canyon Wilderness that you can't have a hang glider. Apparently hang gliders are are not allowed in wilderness areas. No, they're considered mechanized contraptions just like bicycles. (laughs) Anyway. And so that's another thing that I think gets lost in the discussion. Like the BLM likes to say, we're just focusing on this Labyrinth Rim Gemini Bridges area. And I say, we have to look at the broader landscape. There are so many other places where those other users have that preferential access. And this is the one area where it's really been developed into an off-roading area. And if the other users want to come there, they should. It's a, it's an awesome area. They should come there as well. There's, um, Dead Horse Point State Park is kind of in yes, this area. You go on that main highway to get to it. So, it's, um, but yeah, it is the one is area. Lands is right there. And... Yeah, and it's but it's this one area where you really have where they have already concentrated all the off roaders already, and now they're saying, "Well, there's too much off roading going on there." I'm like, "Well, you pushed us all into this area." Yeah, and so we support like a responsible plan that designates the routes so that people know where they should be and that there's the rules we can follow and then we go enforce that and we would all be supportive of that but to now come it's but then they say they say that um so many of these routes that they're proposing to close have such limited minimal use anyways and so it's just kind of this cycle of well, well what is it is there too much use yeah. is there damage or and that is, is nobody like using when i asked you what why do people close these areas and you said the wildlife we talked about the user conflict there's the whole wilderness movement which is true they do want to turn this whole area into a wilderness is the long game here and you can't make a wilderness if there's roads there yeah that that is directly contradictory to the legal definition of a wilderness and so that's why they have to close the roads uh, but the real reason I've seen anything get closed in any of these other travel plans, the thing that's actually winning for SUA in their appeals in court right now is that they're reclaiming and not being yeah. used. That's the biggest reason. Yeah, and, it's really fascinating because like, 
Yeah, a lot of times, especially people with larger followings on social media where they're starting to kind of get into that influencer thing and all of that, like there's this whole movement, oh, you shouldn't share like the exact routes you're on because people will go and overuse them and stuff. And it's like, yeah, I've seen way more routes closed for underuse than overuse. <laughs> if yeah. the route is actually popular and getting publicized, that means it's actually less likely to be closed than more. <laughs> so. Which reminds me of the, I mean, this is one planning initiative going on in this area, but we just a few months ago, we were commenting on their dispersed camping plan. And I know you were looking at that. Simone, Patrick, what was the, they want to turn this whole area into a only designated, you can only camp in designated sites where right now, in most of the area, you can kind of just camp anywhere off the side of the road, or if you get to the end point of a lookout or a spur, you can camp there. Yeah, they want to move to designated, and and how are they going to decide which sites to designate? Yeah, it's the sites that are already disturbed, <laughs> and that already have fire rings and stuff. Yeah, the ones that are already being used. Yeah, and so if you leave, leave no trace, no trace. User, <laughs> if you tread lightly and you don't leave an impact and you're responsible and you do all the responsible use behaviors we encourage everybody to use, now the BLM's coming in and punishing you, saying your preferred use of public land is no longer available. Yeah, because you didn't leave an impact. We didn't know that you like camping in that area. We didn't know you used that area, and so this whole tendency to close use and close routes because they're not used is a huge problem for the whole tra the whole leave no trace movement which we believe strongly in but yeah. you can't penalize us for preaching that and then actually living it and then come say well because we can't see any like meaningful evidence of your impact we just shouldn't have this route anymore it, that creates a terrible incentive for those of us yeah. who are trying to teach people to do this responsibly um we were talking about dispersed camping ahead of the podcast. I do want, we know that this is a, a, this is one of those areas. If you go to like the Overland Expo or if you get an Overland magazine, um, you'll find people with big photo backdrops of them camping in their overlanding rig on the edge of a cliff overlooking a beautiful canyon with the LaSalle's in the background. This is an area people want to come have that experience. And sometimes that's a four-wheel drive vehicle. Sometimes it's a motorhome or a camper. Sometimes it's a Subaru Outback with a Protect Wild Utah sticker in the window. What's happening to that experience in this plan based on yeah. what you've seen so far? One, one thing that's really crazy is um, there are certain areas around this travel management area where the BLM has already restricted camping to designated dispersed sites. And, uh, kind of one particular area is kind of along the rim of Mineral Canyon out along uh, the road to Mineral Bottom. Um, yeah. And there's several different uh, little spur roads going north from Mineral Bottom Road right up to the, the rim of Mineral Canyon. And that's already restricted to designated sites. The BLM has actually already gone and created designated campsites along a number of those spurs. And, uh, they put a lot of work into it. They put signage and fencing and um, just kind of marked everything off and um, made it very clear where you're allowed to camp and where you're not and put all this infrastructure in place. And now they're proposing to close those roads <laughs> that they themselves have already determined are suitable for designated dispersed camping and have already gone through the work to designate the sites for it. And uh, it, it's really confusing to me because it's like, do the travel planners just not know those sites exist? Like, it's know, entirely really possible. Close it? it's, it, it's really confusing, but some of those sites are just spectacular. There's a, this one spur road that 
Um, you basically turn north off of Mineral Bottom Road right before the, the switchbacks that descend down um, into Labyrinth Canyon there. It's kind of on the exit route for the White Rim Trail mm -hmm. uh, right there. And so you turn right on this little spur and it takes you just right out to this super dramatic slick rock slab where there's a designated campsite right on the edge of the cliff overlooking um, Labyrinth Canyon down into Mineral Bottom. And it's, it's probably the most spectacular campsite I've ever seen in my life. And that's one of the ones they're proposing to close. <laughs> and it's just crazy. Yeah, and so that's kind of what I'm seeing. I think that's the area I was looking at. I'm just like, I bet all of these, each one of these spurs, I bet goes to a site. Yeah. And if they close the road, now the site's no longer accessible. And that, and I, I'm worried we're going to see that happen throughout this entire area, that there will be, because what the BLM's saying in the dispersed camping plan that they're working on in a separate process is that we're going to move to change this whole area to a dispersed campsite only, that you can only, or a designated dispersed, where you can only camp in a designated site. But the designated sites will be sites that already have an impact, and that means having a road leading to them. If they close the road to a bunch of these, we might lose a lot of that inventory of potential sites just yeah. through this travel process. So if you're following the camping plan really closely, but you're not following the travel planning process, you might get a, an unpleasant surprise once they start to actually get to the final decision stage of the camping plan. Yeah. And so you really need people like us who are watching all of it. Um, to understand what's going on, but then this gets me to shift gears into we also really need the users of this area, the general public, to go submit comments about these issues. And so I want to talk about how the public can be helpful allies in this plan, because that's the other thing I'm seeing on Facebook is everybody's wanting to know, well, what can we do to stop this? It's time to fight. We can't let them close all these roads. These are our our most popular trails and they want to know what else they can do right now we're in a window we have a limited time period we have till october 7th to do a comment to the blm what makes a comment more effective to the blm versus less effective i think the biggest thing is you you have to get into detail you can't just say oh don't close roads because they'll just Say, okay, that's just somebody's opinion. You, like, you have to actually provide evidence and specifics and uh, like, kind of describe your experience visiting the area, what trails you've enjoyed, actually look at the maps and figure out, like, okay, they're closing this route that you've done before. Like, um, yeah, one of the concerns I've just discovered in the last week is that the, what we think is going to be the BLM's preferred alternative, the one they'll ultimately adopt, is Alternative C, and it's kind of positioned as their middle ground compromise alternative. Um, well, they're now added some closures from the preliminary release. Um, it's, it's different than the preliminary alternatives released a year ago, where now they're closing parts of the Seven Mile Rim Jeep Safari Trail, and that's one of the most absolute popular trails in Moab. Um, so you, you need to like say, no, we want you to keep the whole Seven Mile Rim Jeep Safari Trail open, <laughs> and give the route numbers from their maps and, and things like that, and just make specific comments on specific routes, saying like. This one's proposed for closure in Alternative C. We want this to stay open, and here are some reasons why. We don't believe this is having any significant impact. It's really popular. It's in published guidebooks. It's used for Easter Jeep Safari, whatever, and just give reasons. Like, And that, that makes what the BLM calls a substantive comment, when you actually give reasons and logic and evidence in support of keeping the trail open. Yeah, and one thing... And even if you haven't... 
actually rode some of these trails because I mean we've got users who are who will hopefully comment on this across the nation I mean you can say that you have plans I mean most people want to go ride these at some they're kind of bucket list trails and routes and so even if you haven't you can't say oh I've, I've ridden these routes and I want you to keep them open you can say that you have plans you you would like to go and ride them and so the BLM needs to keep them open for yeah. your future and I wanted plans. to say one thing about what you said Patrick is that information you found about the seven mile rim would you have figured that out just looking at the PDF maps that the BLM published to their site? Yeah, no, because the BLM's maps are inaccurate. Like, there's kind of three different things that they released that we're looking at. There's, they released these uh, PDF maps that are just kind of zoomed out, low resolution PDF files that have maps that show what they purport to be the closures and the different route designations for the different alternatives. And there's uh, they released a, a GIS data file set, which GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems, and it's uh, basically the, the digital map uh, routes. Um, and I, I, most people don't really look at those because it takes a lot of technical knowledge to actually use those. You have to have an account on um, with a service called ArcGIS where you go in and put plug those in and create your own map with them, basically. And I did that, and I discovered that um, the GIS map data did not match their PDF maps. And the PDF maps do not show a lot of the closures, especially for alternative C, that is in the GIS data. And then those closures are also reflected in, the, in these route reports they have, basically the profile for each individual route where they list like what the resource concerns are and have a brief rationale statement for why they're closing it or, or why they're keeping it open or whatever, like for what the designation is. So like some of these closures on Seven Mile Rim, they're in the GIS data files and they're in the route reports, but not in the BLM's PDF maps. So if you're just looking at the PDF maps, you'd have no idea what is actually open or closed. Yeah, and so I, that's really, really important. So I know you have a publicly available link of the map you created, is that correct? Yeah. With the BLM's data. And so we'll put a link to that in the episode description of this podcast. And uh, we want people to have access to that and be able to compare that with the other resources the BLM shared. And I think the fact that those technical errors exist, it probably suggests we should be getting some kind of a deadline extension on this plan. I think we're probably going to ask for that since that kind of when you find these technical flaws, the BLM really has a legal obligation to get this right and yeah. to um, give the public the best available information of what they're planning to do. And when they do what you just described, if there are technical discrepancies between different versions of the publicly available materials, it really clouds the process and yeah. the legitimacy of what they're doing and they need to make it right. And... <clears throat> In addition to what you said about the public comment, I like to always talk about two things about public comment period. The first one is that these are unelected decision makers of a federal agency. They're doing this because Congress, people that if we don't like what they do, we could go unelect them from office and elect somebody who would be more in aligned with what we want out of a policy. They've delegated that authority to a federal agency, but then they've said, but we're going to make them go through this process where they, where they accept and request some public feedback, and, and that will be the way that the agencies are held accountable. And then if the public doesn't like what 
the agencies do, well, then they have the courts, and you can go to the court system and redress your grievance with the courts. And so Congress has totally handed this off, the most politically accountable branch, and put us in a situation where we can only influence a policy outcome by participating in an administrative process with the executive branch, which if you don't participate in the process, you don't have access to the courts. And so it's kind of this weird dance of our separation of powers of our government that I think is kind of, I have problems with it fundamentally with how it works. I think it's a, I don't love how the administrative state has been built over the years, but this is your chance to have a voice in this process as a member of the public. It is a legal right. And every comment that gets submitted to the BLM is a legal act. You are exercising that right. And whether your comment is just expressing an opinion, I know the BLM says they prefer substantive comments, but I've asked them and pinned them down on that. And they said, no, every comment we get does give you a basis for legal standing and does count. Yeah. And so with that understood, one of the decisions I had to make at BRC a little over a year ago was, are we going to should we invest in one of those tools that does like the form comments that makes it easy for people to submit a comment? And we decided to do it. And there was some cost to that. And the first reason was it's because all the environmental groups who were pretty successful at shutting this stuff all down, all do it. And I'm like, well, what if, if the truth is that these form comments don't count as much as a substantive comment, why are they doing that? And, and like us, they always encourage their members to, make their comments individual, add your own perspective. You can always customize anything you send through our comment, or you can always go straight to the BLM and send a comment. That, and, and my first interest is I do want you to comment. I don't care if it's through us, through the BLM, or however way you get that information to the BLM, you should do it, because they need to see that there's a lot of us watching them. It is a form of accountability. But when I thought about, well, why do the environmental groups do it? The best reason I could come up with was it helps them build their movement. It helps them create a relationship with their supporters. And there's going to be more to come on this plan. This isn't the final word. This isn't the last step. This is a middle step. And my experience with the other plans we've worked on is there's going to be a final decision. And then there will probably be a subsequent round of legal action from us, SUA, Grant County, State of Utah, and everybody in between, especially on this plan. I mean, we'll have to see what the BLM decides, but it's almost guaranteed that we'll see some legal action following that. And we have to use these inflection points where where the public's engaged on this issue to kind of plant the flag and say, we're here to fight for this and we all need to be uniting together and making sure we have a way to stay in contact with each other about this issue because there's I, the administrative process is designed, it's a home field advantage to the agency. They can use time to their advantage. They can use raw political power to their advantage. They can The courts are rigged to their favor. And this is one of the few ways we can equalize that playing ground is by mobilizing a large group of people and organizing them into a movement to be a unified voice on these issues. And so that's like part of the reason why we do that through a form tool is to help give people a place where we can kind of mobilize and unite around this cause. Um, but we do really care that you individualize your comments. I, if I had everybody out there doing their comments, doing the work Patrick's doing, where if, if you're going on a trip to Moab between now and October 7th, you really should like make an extra effort to include in your itinerary to go visit 
some of these routes that are red in alternative B or C. Go take pictures of them. Get the GPS coordinates. Tell the BLM why you, after visiting that route, why you think it's a valuable route and that there's a recreation value for that route to be there. And I know that we have enough users and I know our users are the most dominant user group in this area. And if we could just mobilize the people who are already going there to be our eyes on the ground and our boots on the ground to see what's really happening and what really the status of these trails is. Yeah. We, we would be a force to be reckoned with with the BLM and they would have to, they legally have to respond to comments that get that level of specificity included. Yeah, in yeah that was one thing I wanted to point out. Like um, people say, oh, the, the BLM's already made up their mind. My comment won't do any good. Well, there's one thing your comment can do because the BLM is legally required to reply to every single comment and at least give like some brief reply to it and like kind of say why they're doing this or why they're not. So if you say like, like you shouldn't close this trail because X, Y, and Z, they have to actually go in and say, well, no, we are closing this trail because we disagree with that and we think X, Y, and Z. And so that at least creates a record of why they're closing the trails. Because a lot of times they don't even want to say why. They're just like, because we say so. But if yeah. you give a detailed enough comment about, like, I want this particular trail to stay open, they actually have to give a reason for it. And then that provides evidence for groups like Blue Ribbon and us that are going to come in and do legal challenges later, maybe, that, that we can then use that and say, okay, the BLM said they were closing the specific trail for the specific reason, and that's wrong. Yeah, um, and to be fair, they're not going to, like, send you an email or call yeah, you up. No. They no, will include it in the big <laughs> report of, we got a comment that said this, and this is our response. Yeah. And but those are also useful for creating a record for future travel plans, because I've been going back and looking at the responses to comments on the 2008 travel plan. Like, one example that Sua and Grand County really want the Hajo Canyon Jeep Trail closed in this travel plan. And you know, there's responses to comments in the 2008 plan where Sua made that exact same argument that they say it's annoying the boaters on the river and whatnot. And the BLM responded and said, no, we don't think that's a problem. And like we've had our people go down during Easter Jeep Safari. We didn't see any evidence of user conflict or resource damage or anything like that. And, and we think yeah. this is a valuable route and want to keep it open. And so now, like now political leadership has obviously changed in the BLM and they're more favoring closures. But we can take what they said in 2008 and throw it back at them and say, OK, in 2008, you specifically said there were no problems with this route and it was a valuable route to keep open. So like what's changed here? And they have to they could then have, later have to, have to justify that in court. Yeah. And one thing I want to add is if you make those kind of substantive comments and if we want to use those in court ourselves, um, one of the ways we lose our standing as an organization is you can't just be a supporter. You can't just like us on Facebook. You actually have to be a member of BRC or uh, Patrick is a he is affiliated with Colorado Off-Road Trail Defenders is your group, right? Yeah, although we're not really a membership-based organization. Okay. We just have our board and we write comments. And yeah, so you guys kind of are. Thing, so. and, but BRC specifically is um, because we have such broad coverage everywhere that in order for us to have substantial legal standing on these issues, we, we rely heavily on making sure we have members who are engaged in this. And, we, and becoming a member isn't like that hard. We've created a membership where you can support our effort on this like travel planning stuff for five bucks a month and we count you as a member at that point 
And then if you go make a comment, we have, we can share that legal standing that you've created through your comment. So that's another way that people are wondering, how do we increase the effectiveness of our comments? One is to individualize them, use your personal experience, back it up with data and field on the ground evidence. Um, if you want your comments to carry heavier weight, I mean, BRC will be going the distance on this plan. If you're a member of BRC and you make good points in the re and you're not satisfied with the responses that BLM gives to your points, we want to include your work in our work, um, <clears throat> especially if you're a, an official member of our organization. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I think we've covered a really good overview of this plan. I know that, how many pages is it, Simone? Ballpark, is it? Oh, it's a lot. Let me see. Um, I mean, the route reports see. is I'll probably right over now. a thousand pages. I'm still yeah, yeah, there's... Okay, it's 239 yeah, that's just pages. For the, the EA. So. And then the. And so <laughs> yeah, this that's is just going to be a big EA. plan. We have the, we'll, we're all analyzing it. I know I saw uh, United Four Wheel Drive Association and Scott Jones. And that yeah. group is digging in. I know a lot of off-road groups are looking at this one, and that's it's just really encouraging. Everybody's uniting together, mobilizing, and getting involved on this, and we just want to keep the discussion alive, let the average user of these public lands know how they can become better advocates and better allies in this cause, and let them see that we've all got good people working on it too, and we're going to fight really hard for these trails here in Moab. Um, and I want to close by saying there's a lot of emphasis on Moab because if you've been there, you know why we fight so hard for this place. It really is a unique outdoor recreation experience and an adventure. There's so much to see and do there. Um, and because of that, there's a lot of users there. There's a lot of people who have different visions for how they want that place to operate. And so BRC has just been heavily involved in a lot of issues related to Moab currently and throughout, throughout our history. Uh, right now, we're currently challenging some local ordinances that we think are problematic and designed to target and hurt the off-road community. Uh, we do, we're looking at plans on this. There were those uh, Dingle Act amendments that were seven amendments that were supposed to just focus on Emory County, but Grand County made it about them too. Um, so we're tracking all of those. We've got the camping plan. Uh, we know there's the Book Cliffs areas in Grand County, the Dolores Canyon plan will come up in a few years. I mean, this is an area that we know we're going to have to commit attention, time, and resources. And so one of the things we've started doing to fundraise basically for a legal fund for Moab issues is we have a sweepstakes going on right now where you can win a Moab vacation. It includes a $2,000 travel stipend to cover any travel costs, plane tickets, gas, however you want to get to Moab. Um, there's a two-night stay at the Wingate Wyndham Hotel. And then we have, I believe it's 14 outfitters that offer everything from jet boat tours, ATV tours, Jeep rentals, um, all these kinds of outdoor experiences you would want to have in Moab. You can basically fill your itinerary with free tours from them. It, like if you, you'll be able to go research who the tour providers are, decide which ones you want to do, call them up, tell them you won the BRC grand prize, and they will give you a tour experience for a group of four, family of four, whatever. Um, and they're all excited to see who wins this so they can roll out the red carpet and give you a really good experience of Moab. So if you're somebody who goes to Moab a lot and just wants to get back and have it be paid for, um, you can enter to win the sweepstakes. Um, 
the the best way is you I mean there because it's a it's run through Tapcat. There's ways you can just enter uh, with there the legal requirements required. You allow anybody who submits an entry can get a single entry. Um, but if you make a donation to our legal fund, you get additional entries into the sweepstakes, and so we'll have a link to that as well in this. We want we're trying to build that support. Always you want to have a war chest of of financial resources and lawyers usually are required for this work and when we need them we pay for them and get them and go the whole distance that's what we're doing in some of these other areas and we'll do it here if it becomes necessary and there's a good chance it might be and so we need to be ready for that um any closing words patrick simone uh, yeah just encourage people to get out and explore these trails and um yeah i did a really neat trip last year um last october right after they released the kind of preliminary version of the alternatives and just kind of spent five days in Moab focusing on exploring all the trails that were marked for closure in Alternative C there. And, um, yeah, it, when you do that, you find you'll explore a lot of just really cool places that uh, a lot of these trails are just you know, more obscure trails that are just really beautiful and spectacular, hardly anybody on them, and uh, just amazing scenery. So um, yeah, both, I'd encourage people to both go do that just for research on this travel plan and also just to explore these areas and experience them because they're incredible places like most people have probably never driven down the trail in 10 mile canyon or up the trail in uh, hell roaring canyon um, most people probably don't even know those trails exist but uh, if you go out and explore places like that they're just incredible and beautiful places and um, we really want to fight to protect those so encourage people get out use them comment to the BLM, tell them how important these are, and we want them to stay open. Yeah, no thanks. I actually want to follow up on that just a little bit, and then we'll wrap up. First of all, those tra the trails you've mentioned are probably quite an adventure after a monsoon season like we've had. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious the... what those are like right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we ought to go check those out uh, just to see what their condition is. That's part of this process, yeah. documenting the condition. Yeah, but I'm curious... Um, I had to spend two hours shoveling it to level out a washout just so I could get into it. <laughs> yeah, so come prepared. I mean, these are rugged yeah. backcountry adventures any way you look at them. But why do you do this off-roading? Like there, I mean, you could be in one of the other user groups. You could just go mountain bike Moab, or you could be you could be a river rafter. But why do you? Why did you choose the off-roading jeeping? What got you into that, Patrick? just see so much more of it and yeah it's just a, a neat adventure being able to uh, you know, maneuver a vehicle through all of these challenging terrain and um, all seeing incredible scenery so it's just kind of a unique mix of uh, both technical challenge and beautiful scenery and you can just see so much more of it it's kind of interesting my wife enjoys hiking more than jeeping that's more her thing because she thinks she can like kind of see an area really well but i'm more of a big picture guy and i like and just explore a whole broad area and a vehicle gives me the freedom to do that whereas with hiking i could only see tiny little areas at once so yeah everybody and has different both, styles with that but and they're both valid but yeah they're both valuable and that's what i think our side sometimes misses the boat on as far as when they make these public comments you get angry you get in angry mode and kind of tell the blm your mind and what you think tell them why Focus on the why you're there, why this is valuable to you, the recreation value you get out. Your unique experience is as important a part of this discussion as is there a weed growing in the middle of this trail or not. And 
don't hesitate and don't forget to include that. that. I think that probably is what ends up making these comments the strongest and paints our community to the BLM as somebody who has a deep connection to this area and this land and we want to keep it for those reasons. And I would, I would much rather be fighting on those terms with this and making that emotional connection with these decision makers every chance we can than just the technical information, which does need to be thorough and accurate and right. So thanks for sharing that with us, Patrick. Thanks for being with us. Um, we'll share this out there at, once it's published and ready for consumption. And hopefully we'll, everybody can help spread the word and add this to the list of links and information you're sharing about these plans just so everybody has all the best information we can get. And uh, we'll be going out to Moab this weekend to document some of these. We should have some content there to educate people with on the ground information of what's going on, give you a model of what, what to look for when you go out and make your comments and do field work. Um, and then we'll keep digging in the plan just like you are. If you find any other information that you think the community needs to know, I know you're sharing that out in the groups and we share your stuff when you see it. So keep up with